Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hey, hello. What's happening, buddy? Not much, man. Just enjoying the fall. This is my favorite time of year. It's always has uh, been my favorite time of year. You like uh, camping and everything at this time of year. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm always excited about the, uh, you know, that first uh, little icy layer you see on puddles and edges of streams and stuff. I love that. There's just that brittle ice that forms. It's usually gone by lunchtime the same day. and Because you've stepped on it or thrown a rock through <laughs> <No>. it. <laughs> Maybe as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's just, well, my biggest uh, irritant in the backcountry is bugs, mosquitoes. So this time of year, you might have some horse flies, but that's about it. So it's like glorious. Glorious. That's <laughs> <laughs> why so I like fall camping and winter camping. Well, and the fall colors are out big time right now. Oh, yeah. Well, there's so much going on right now. It's just incredible. Like you have, uh, you have the first few frosts. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I had to pull some patio plants in so they didn't die. They're going to die anyways, but, you know. They'll die inside instead of outside. <laughs> exactly. They'll die where it's warm. <laughs> They'll die in the comfort of the warmth of the house. <laughs> but, yeah, so the first frosts are in, and, you know, I'm starting to put the yard to bed, and, you know, I, I mowed down some flower beds there on the weekend. And <laughs> so <laughs> it's always fun. It's like, hmm, it'd be quick if I just run my lawnmower over those. <laughs> I actually finally got a chance to finish uh, some of the front railing. Oh. Sanded it all down, give it a coat of new stain. When was the last time I had a coat of stain? The year was 1900. And it's <laughs> 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 yeah, been a while. But not got a good sanding and a staining and all that. Nice. Getting a lot of stuff done around the house right now. But uh, yeah, fall colors are out yeah. full right now. Algonquin mm-hmm. Park is. Inundated. <laughs> you know what? I, I Every year it gets worse, it seems. Yeah. If you want to get up there, you get up there first thing in the morning. And yep. Make sure they're doing the uh, day pass. You got to buy them like a week in advance now yeah. and all that. So hopefully you get up there and you get one. And even if you... So uh, they started doing that, I think, three years ago. So you can buy an Ontario Parks Pass. It's good for the whole year, any Ontario Park. But that doesn't get you into Algonquin Park and the Highway 60 corridor during the fall colors. Mm-hmm. You still have to you still have to book and book your time. You just don't have to pay for it. But you yeah. still have to book a pass to enter the park, and it's just to reduce the numbers of people. Because uh, I've seen a few videos of uh, Track and Tower Trail and stuff where there's like hundreds of cars parked down each side of Highway 60. Oh yeah, it's just it's just nuts. It is. And so you think, oh man, I'm glad I'm not going there. There's got to be another place other than Algonquin to go. I think there's leaves. Are there elsewhere in Ontario? Nope. No. We we keep them all there. <laughs> That's where they're put. We move them into September. <laughs> so I think what's good about Algonquin is that you can hike some of the trails and get some elevation, mm-hmm. like Centennial Ridges and stuff like that. You can get some high elevation and look down onto onto the canopy, right? So yeah. I think that's the big plus with Algonquin. Otherwise, you're just you're kind of driving through the countryside looking at the colors, which is nice too. It there, is nice. there are some good uh, mm-hmm. views from your car when yeah. you're going through Algonquin yeah. as well. But there's so many people just driving through. Yeah. You know, because if you're driving through, you don't have to get a day pass. Exactly. But if you get stop, if you stop for a hike, you can get a ticket or something, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it's, <clears throat> what are you going to do? Yeah. 
but it's it is it's a nice time of year. It's uh, the crisp mornings and the, le- the the color changes and early morning frost. It's like ah, so nice. And so, and it, it kind of brings to mind what I like about camping this time of year is is like you're not you're not sweating all day long mm-hmm. paddling. You uh, you go through a portage and you're not being eaten alive by bugs. And it's like there's still you're still going to have some horse flies here and there, but not as many. And there aren't hordes of people. Yeah, there's not hordes of people. <laughs> no, not in the back. Not country. in the back. In the back country. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it is a beautiful time of year to be in the back country. I do like it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Aurora borealis. Yes. So even as uh, you know, not taking into account any world-ending solar storms, <laughs> <laughs> but. But we have had some flares recently. I don't, I keep meaning to look it up, and I keep forgetting. And, and we even mentioned it earlier about the solar storms. And I'm thinking, well, when is the solar maximum? Because it's supposed to be an eleven year cycle, right? So I wonder it's where eleven we, or ten. It's eleven. Oh, it's an eleven year cycle. So I'm, I'm wondering where we are because uh, I've seen a few uh, NASA warnings about uh, large uh, solar flares and stuff like that, and and so the concern there is like you know electronics and you know because the uh, the, <laughs> the bigger the solar flare and like it damages satellites and it, it affects the uh, oh what, and I what, get my internet the aurora what you see with the aurora is actually it's excited particles in the atmosphere and the magnetosphere being moved and bent because of the solar storm. And so it gives you nice, pretty Aurora colors. And uh, I was looking at, uh, I think at the website or the app is called Aurora Watch. Somebody posted it online and it showed like right into Southern Ontario, you could see colors. Mm-hmm. But you need a, you need a proper camera lens to, and, and the right settings to bring it out. To get some pictures. Yeah. Yeah, unless you really know what you're looking at, it's like, uh, is that a town on the horizon? It might be Aurora, but a camera would really bring that out if you set the settings right. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good time of year. You got uh, you <laughs> anybody camping last weekend? You you had aurora, you had early morning frost, you have leaf colors, you have no bugs. It's like it was the Glorious. perfect yeah. weekend, and it was a nice weekend for weather wise, depending yep. on where you are. Well, down here there was a little bit of breeze, but yeah, uh, yeah. on Sunday, mm-hmm. well, on Sunday and Saturday, but still yeah. nice to be outside and mm-hmm. getting stuff done. Yeah, woohoo. Uh, got a few things to talk about this week. <clears throat> got a bit of a frog in my throat this week, too. It's that time of year. It is. In May of 1940. Oh, so this is the historical section of the <laughs> evening. <laughs> this is a history segment. Uh, the Netherlands were in a perilous position after the Luftwaffe's heavy ar- aerial bombing of Rotterdam. On uh, May 14th, the Dutch were left with little option but to surrender the city. Faced with the prospect of the nearby city of Utrecht being destroyed if they didn't surrender, the Dutch admitted defeat and the Netherlands became under German occupation. Five days later, after the Nazi invasion, and despite Dutch neutrality, more than a thousand civilians were killed. The country in such turmoil, many Dutchmen and women desperately tried to work out the best way to flee the country. Henri and Willem Pateri from Rotterdam both fell into that category. In war, you're doing anything you can to survive, of course. Mm -hmm. Keen to leave their homeland and take part in the Allied struggle against the Germans, the brothers were up for trying any method possible to reach the safety of England. 
It's September of 41, with the war raging on, Henri stumbled upon the idea of kayaking to England after hearing stories of other Dutchmen using the North Sea to escape. And when everything with the Ukraine started this year, or last year, I guess it was. Yeah. So last year, last year? No, it was year. this. It was March. Okay. March of this year. Um, there were a bunch of people coming through and trying to get through using the North Sea, trying to paddle. Yep. <clears throat> we did. Yep. We, we talked about that. They were closing some of the uh, boat stores. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yeah. were stopping the sales of boats because so many people, people were, were trying, trying to get across yeah. and not make and it. And it was a health. It was a health and, you know, the people were dying. Yeah. So in 1941, it's exactly what they did. They managed, uh, Henri managed to rope his brother Willem into the plan, and after buying a kayak in Rotterdam, the pair headed to the coast, ready to risk their lives for freedom. Once night fell on September 19th, Henri and Willem pushed their kayak into the North Sea. And that's like not the warmest of water either. No, right? no. After some initial difficulties, they were off, and on the long, dangerous voyage across the North Sea had begun. 56 hours later, they washed up on Sizewell Beach, and after speaking with a slightly surprised police officer, were sent to the Layston Police Station. After being released, the brothers went their separate ways. Henri joined the Dutch Marines, while Willem served in the Royal Dutch Navy. So they, yeah, their plan was to help. <clears throat> yeah, they wanted to help. They weren't just trying yeah. to duck out of things. Both men went on to enjoy successful lives, but they'll always be remembered for being two of the eight people who survived the perilous journey across the North Sea from the Netherlands to England. Those who made the journey later became known as the England Verders, which translates to England Farers. Of the 32 men known to have tried to kayak from Netherlands to England during the war, the Pateri brothers were among just eight who survived. You got to wonder how many they didn't know about. Yeah, exactly. It's not like, it's not like uh, like nowadays you can know a lot just with the internet and news and the way people talk. But back then, and especially during war times, so a mm -hmm. lot of stuff was just kept secret on the down low. And yeah, you so, sneak and, in and yeah, and you didn't really talk about things, right? Yeah. There wasn't a lot of word of mouth either, right? No, no. <clears throat> uh, museum uh, dedicated to keeping their memory alive exists in the Dutch town of Nordwijk almost parallel with Sizewell. If you visit Sizewell Beach, you'll notice there's a small statue that commemorates the brothers' voyage. The statue features three paddles, two intact to commemorate Henri and Willem, and one broken to honor those who perished trying to cross the North Sea from Netherlands during the Second World War. Huh, isn't that something? See? A little bit of history came yep. upon that, eh? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, people were doing everything... Everything they can. Yeah. Either to escape uh, the Nazis, the Germans, or to get into the fight against them. And this way they did both. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we got? Oh, something close to home. Yes, I think, didn't we briefly, now I don't know if we talked about this before, but we knew it was coming up. I've heard mm -hmm. of this before. Uh, Thames River and McGregor Creek in Chatham, Ontario. More than 440 pounds of garbage was removed by uh, volunteers. So they got a bunch of people out in their boats. And yep. Mm -hmm. They did this last year as well. This is the second one. 
says residents brought out their kayaks and canoes to take part in the second annual CK Paddle and Clean of the Thames River in McGregor Creek, organized by the Lower Thames Valley Conservation Authority. Randa Speller collected a wooden dining room chair she fished out of the Thames along with a bag of trash that included mostly single-use beverage containers. We're our own worst enemies, aren't we? Every time I read about one of these river cleanups and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, that is the biggest thing they find. Yeah. Is the single-use containers, uh, pop pop cans. Water bottles. Water bottles. And that's the big thing. Hmm. She also found a message in a bottle, which turned out to be a handwritten note to a loved one named John from Delaware. It was tucked into a plastic beverage container. Huh. Uh, Speller has taken part in the event both years, along with going out on the paddling cleanups and on the Sydenham River a few times as well. That's another one. A lot of the people that do this one also do the that river as well. So it can take a little work to get the garbage in your kayak or canoe, especially from along the riverbank, you got to dig it out with your paddle most times and kind of pull it pull it in a little, little closer and then over. Alyssa Broders, uh, w, or sorry, LTVCA Wetland and Urban Stewardship Technician. Holy jumpins. <laughs> That's a lot of words. <laughs> said about a thousand pounds of garbage Whoa. was collected during the first year. So that was last year. That's when we yep. talked about it was a thousand pounds. So... A, either not as many people participated, so they didn't collect as much, or B, it's cleaner this year, it's so cleaner. there wasn't as much yeah. to collect. There was a big cleanup last year, so there's less, but still, did they do a deeper clean this year, or the 440 pounds from this year, is that all new from this year? Like like I said, That's a lot we of, are our own worst enemies. Yeah. It was a pretty good mix. There was a lot of food and beverage items, and then there were some bigger things like shopping cart. Yeah, I always see shopping carts. <laughs> I know. It, like, yeah, and you know the uh, the drainage ditches or the drainage ponds and yeah. stuff like that. You see, it's like, how did that get there? You know, it's just kids. Yeah. yeah. Going and taking a shopping cart. And- but sometimes it seems like I don't get how it got there in that spot. Like, it's difficult to get it There's to no that road spot. for 10 <laughs> kilometers how did, did that they carry it on their backs was it that important <laughs> uh, a lot of the garbage that's in the river is really detrimental to wildlife wildfowl can choke on some of the garbage broder said there is also a huge recreational advantage when the river is cleaned up because people don't want to see litter strewn no. river you don't if it's if it's looks like a, a public dump, then who's going to want to paddle there? Yeah, and this goes back to the whole taking ownership mm-hmm. of, of yeah. your waterway, right? Yeah, if more people could listen, in, like I think that we really need a bigger and widespread leave no trace initiative. I, I remember years ago when we did it when we were with the ABR group, and and we really got to push on the, on the seven principles of leave no trace, and I, I, it's just it seems to have gone to the side now and yeah so, it's not in the forefront anymore and, and with covid there's a lot more people in the back country and 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 doing trail hikes and stuff and so it's people that maybe are not used to being in the back country so you know it's it's uh it's really sad to see you do a local hiking trail and it's like oh they bagged a dog poop but they left the dog poop on the trail or oh that's the 10th tim hortons cup i've seen today mm-hmm. right it's it people just need to clean up after themselves and you wouldn't need initiatives like this people going out it's nice that people are taking ownership and going out in groups and cleaning up these rivers and backcountry areas but we just got to stop putting the garbage there in the first place definitely definitely 
Um, it helps aesthetically as well. So it's really good social economic balance between helping out the wildlife and helping out the community. Sally Joyce has both a serious reason and a more lighthearted reason for participating. In the first culture of this country, it is known that women are the protectors of water, she said. She added, the river you are born near is your birth river, and it's our responsibility to help look after it. But there is also an enjoyable aspect to participating. Overall, honestly, we have fun. It's a good day out. Members of the Rotary Club of Chatham Sunrise were also out for the day taking care of registration for the event, which uh, launched from the Thames Grove Conservation Area. So good on them. Yeah, good for them. A little late in the season, but better late than never. Yeah, normally you see a lot of these uh, initiatives are done in the spring, the, mm-hmm. the the river and waterways cleanups and stuff. And uh, But good for them. It's like, you know, there's no bad time of year to be doing this, to be cleaning up around you, right? No, no. Uh, what's next is the, what do we call this section? This segment is the up uh, for debate segment. <laughs> the, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a debate section. Yeah, yeah. Came across an article guy was talking about, he's from Maine. If you spent any time romping around the woods, you've probably come across what look like abandoned canoes and kayaks on the shores of ponds. Gotta say, I've never seen a kayak. No, I haven't seen kayaks. I've seen lots of canoes, like either stashed or <clears throat> oftentimes I'll see canoes smashed to bits on whitewater rivers. Yeah. So it's, it's high up on a bank, it's broken in half. It's like, oh, hope the people are okay. Right? So, but yeah, you, but this, this here, what they're talking about is. Fully intact stored canoes mm-hmm. for personal use. Yeah. People often stash canoes, kayaks on the shores of remote ponds that aren't accessible by vehicle. This way they have a boat to use any time they visit that pond instead of hauling one each time they visit. It can seem really odd coming across a boat turned over in the middle of nowhere, but it makes sense when you think about it. And see, like the ministry, they'll do that on lakes. Um, yes. Like even in Algonquin. We've been on lakes where you see their boats upside I've down. I've seen it on Hogan Lake in right? Algonquin. Yeah. And it's stamped MNR yep. right on the canoe. Ministry of Natural Resources. Nobody likes to talk about this, but, uh, sorry, uh, it raises the question, is it okay to use one of these boats? So if you're out in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and you're hiking along and, oh, look, a boat. Mm-hmm. I'd like is to it paddle. okay to use yeah. it? Yeah. You know what? I need? Like, say you're on a backcountry backpack trip, uh-huh. and your site is close by, and you see somebody has stashed a boat. Yep. Are you going to use that boat? Maybe go out and catch some dinner. I think it depends on, for me, it depends on how remote. If you're way back in the backcountry, and it's not easy to get to, then it's like, well, this person probably stashed it. They come here once or twice a year, and they probably had a spare canoe, and they're storing it. But if it's local, if it's in closer, did they just come ashore, and they are they wandering around and going for a quick hike and coming back in 45 minutes? Mm-hmm. Then, you know, if, if, you're, if you're closer to the front country, then I would not touch it. No, but far, far back. I would be very tempted to use that abandoned canoe. Mm-hmm. Not abandoned, stored. Stored. Remotely stored canoe. Nobody likes to talk about this, but would you be upset if your canoe was used by a stranger? Many would say yes, 
It's your canoe, your spot, right? Why would you invite others to use it? I the would, chances of people you respected leaving, it, if people respected it, didn't damage it, and just used it and put it back, it's like, hey, look, somebody used it. Good, yeah. good for them. You're not going to be leaving your $300 custom paddle no. and life jackets. No. You're not going to be leaving like a $5,000 Swift or Novacraft yeah, yeah, yeah. brand spanking yeah. new canoe. It's going to be an old beater. It's going to be an old glass, plastic, Grumman. fiberglass, Grumman <laughs> sort of jib-jab out there yeah. that – you're just going to like, you know what, just going to leave this here. Mm-hmm. So that way when I do come out two or three times a year, yeah. I got something here. I don't have to haul it in. If you are leaving your $300 paddle and $5,000 canoe, yeah, <laughs> get your head examined. Yeah. <laughs> like I've seen canoes stored like that in the backcountry with, and I've sometimes seen them with like a couple years worth of leaves on top. Yeah. And you can see that some of the leaves are degraded enough, turning to dirt, that it's like, oh, so they've haven't. This hasn't been used in like two, three years. So it really. If I if I have my own canoe with me, I'm not going to use it. But if I was on a hike and it's like, huh, why put the mileage on your own canoe? Maybe I want to go fishing. Was that why put the mileage on your own canoe? (laughs) Save some mileage. (laughs) Save some mileage on that bad boy. Use somebody else's canoe to go find where the rocks are. Maybe this canoe knows where the rocks are. Yeah. Well, it may not be as a useless gesture if everybody locked their canoes up in these remote ponds, then each person who visits would have to tote their own canoe. Mm -hmm. It would be unnecessary effort because if everyone who wishes to fish these waters hikes in their own boat, many opting to leave them there, it would result in a pile of boats in the woods. I can think of a few, like I remember... I remember a trip to Tomogamy and there was just one of these side trips where it was a lot of portaging into a very big lake. And uh, at one of the portage heads, there was, man, there must have been about 15 or 18 aluminum Lund type, uh, like a paddle boat, uh, like a motorboat. Motorboats. Type thing. Yeah. Those, yeah. So they just, they're all, some of them were like stacked three, four high and it's like, what's going on here? And you know, and there's like broken down motors there. It's like everybody brings their boat in and then leaves it. And it's like, it's a donation boat or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just use somebody else's boat? Why stack another boat? Maybe our whole family comes along. <laughs> Maybe. And then somebody. <laughs> but yeah, but when you see like 15 or 18 boats all stacked at a portage, it's like that, that's it kind of, I don't know, it, it gets kind of messy. So like you said, like we're, you're getting at is like, yeah, suddenly there's like 30 canoes because 30 different people want to come back here a couple times a year. And, and it's like, well, maybe we should build racks. I don't know. Like what's going on? Well, all of a sudden you see canoe racks in the middle. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> what is this? We're, <laughs> we're like five days from the nearest put in. <laughs> well, that's when you get canoe racks and you put on your own locks and a phone number. If you want the combo to this log, call me. <laughs> send me X amount of bucks via <laughs> PayPal yeah, and I'll yeah. give you the call. Yeah, I'll yeah. give it to you. Give me an e-transfer. Yeah, e-transfer. <laughs> I think I just come across a new uh, business model. Yeah, the <laughs> rental fleet. <laughs> <laughs> Have that new canoe in no time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, even though it's nice to see how many people are into trout fishing, areas covered with brightly colored canoes can be a real eyesore. What's the harm? As long as your boat is there when you go to use it, is there any issue with sharing? Sure, it's a risk of getting it stolen, but who would really bother to haul a decrepit old canoe 
miles through the woods to have to, to take it. Yeah, not, not worth gonna, the not going to happen. No. Yeah, not worth the effort at all. It could get broken, but have you ever seen a broken plastic canoe? <laughs> no, ain't easy. So this does bring to mind. We I think it was in the spring. We came across the story. I think it was in was it in England. Anyways, we saw where there was a chain link fence. It was at a poplar park, and there must have been like 30 or 40 plastic kayaks right. just stacked along the side of the road. And, and so the authorities are going, okay, enough's enough. Like, you guys got to get these out of here or we're going to dispose of them. Because so many people were getting into it that, and there wasn't enough yeah, it racks like, and storage yeah. or anything. And It looked like a plastics recycling depot. It was yeah. like, oh, my God, there's, a, there's like this unending flow of these different colors of plastic all stacked up along this fence line. It's like, gets a little ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think what we're talking about though is backcountry areas where there might be one or two canoes. If there's one or two on a lake, you know, yeah, that's one thing. But if you end up with a dozen of them, yeah, what's going on here? (laughs) Well, you got a dozen people coming in throughout the year and, and fishing. (laughs) That lake's not lasting long. No, exactly. Um, it's not to say you don't have to let the sporting community use your canoe. The solution, simply lock it to a tree. Many canoes, often higher-end ones, end up getting chained to a tree. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the choice of the owner. After all, it's certainly possible that someone might carry an expensive canoe out of the pond and steal it. Sad but true. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if I'm leaving my canoe back there, yeah, it's not you're expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah, it's going to be an old fiberglass beater built in the 90s and yada, yada, yada. It's like got a, a thousand trips on it. So. Mm-hmm. If you borrow a canoe that you come across in the woods, just keep some things in mind. It's not your boat, so treat it well. Exactly. If you abuse it or don't put it away nicely, the owner may choose to remove it or chain it up, which would ruin the opportunity for others. Exactly. Should go without saying, but someone has chained up a canoe, it's off limits. Absolutely. They did so because they didn't want others to use their equipment, and that should be respected. I mean, that could be because I don't want you to use it, or somebody used it, and broke it, it, I had to repair it. enough. Yeah. Chained up, off limits. It's not your canoe, so remember to treat the owner with respect and gratitude for the favor they have done. Should you meet the owner of the boat you're borrowing, don't be confrontational. Apologize for the inconvenience, thank them for the use of their boat, boat, and move on. Clean up all of your trash and offer to help out in any way you can. At the end of the day, it's your call whether to borrow a canoe stashed in the woods. If you do, treat the boat with care and leave it better than you found it. One thing I would add to that, I was just thinking about it, is like there's three different situations also you'd have to consider here. Is uh, is this a provincial park? Is this crown land? Or is this private land? If it's yeah. private land, don't touch the boat, right? But chances are private land is going to be front if country yeah. type thing. It's going to be on a lake or river somewhere yeah, in, there in southern Ontario, wherever you live. And so, yeah, you should be on that land anyways because it's private land. But if it's if it's like in a in a park, say you're way up north in Tomogamy or just way up north in Crown Land, and it's like a it's a popular lake that 
It's hard to get to, hard to portage into. Somebody's going to leave a canoe there. It all depends on the situation, right? You have to mm-hmm. kind of weigh all the points and factors in it. Yeah, I yeah. I'm not advocating using other people's boats, but it's something you have you to know decide what? for I, yourself. I don't think if I were to use one. Well, first off, because we we had talked about this earlier, if I were to see a couple of big aluminum fishing boats there with motors and stuff. Oh, we got a little buddy here. Oh, yeah, look at that. We got a spider dropping in. And where is he going? Is he going to my beer or your beer? Or between? <laughs> we, there's a light right above the table, and there's a spider on a spider web just coming straight down in the middle between us. This is our. Oh, oh, oh now he's going back up. He's had enough of you. <laughs> I think he said, Buy better beer, Derek. <laughs> hey, that's hey, a good that's, beer. That's, that's the nature program. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nature segment of our program. Uh, um, yeah, if if I came across a boat motor combo there, gas, to me, no. Even if, you know, like I'm 200 miles away from the nearest person. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, yeah, that's just, no, I'm not touching somebody's boat motor. And chances are you get there on a boat yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or if it's a backpack thing sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. A canoe, it depends. If I'm camping on that lake, if I'm on a backpack trip and I'm camping on that lake, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know what? Nobody's around. Nobody's coming. Maybe I've been here for three for, days. And that maybe I'll just move. go out for a evening paddle or yeah. something like that. And that's if they've left the paddle. <laughs> exactly. And a life jacket. Yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, honestly, if you're going to borrow someone's canoe, if there's a paddle and there's no life jacket, chances are you're going anyway. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, <laughs> let's call it what it is. Yeah. But, yeah, it, like you say, if you've been camping on this one spot for three days and no one showed up, yeah. you want to take it out for a quick little spin or you've noticed the You'll spend the three days jumping. whittling a paddle. Spend three days whittling that paddle just in time for Saturday morning for the owner to show up. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Here I whittled you a paddle. <laughs> um, you know, like if you know the fish, you see the fisher jump and you want to go out and cast a line or something rather than just trying to do it from shore. Yeah. Then that's one thing. Um, definitely check the boat out first. Yeah. There may be other reason that it's sitting there. Maybe it's got a giant hole in it or a crack that you can't tell. Yeah, a cl- crack that you can't tell. We made it all the way up to the huh? roof again. He is, right up wow. to the ceiling. Spider. Spider. Spider man. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, I, again, like the guy, the, the author says, it's up to you whether you borrow someone's canoe or not. But mm-hmm. if you do, leave it... Uh, Better than you found it and where you found it. And, yeah. You know, don't leave it turned upside right. Turn it upside down so it doesn't fill with rain and rot. Did we hire an HR team? Maybe that spider was just checking in on us. Maybe. Ooh, maybe the, Is the HR? HR cats have sent them in to spy. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> the cats are outsourcing <laughs> to the spider community. Wow. Making sure we're staying on the straight and narrow. The house I live in, eh? <laughs> anyway. So, you, you. Me. You. 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 <laughs> you're going camping. camping. Sort of. Well, it's still camping. Glamping. Glamping. Yeah. 
jump in the old motor home yep, and you're there you go. heading out for a week. Yes. And we went to the same place last year and we saw, we, and it's, at first I had never seen them before, ever. We came across in the woods just off the, off the campground was a whole bunch of giant puffball mushrooms. And these things were like basketball or, as I said to you earlier, American bowling ball big. They're American bowl. Who says American bowling ball big? <laughs> it's the size of a volleyball. No. It's the size of a baseball. It's the size of a basketball. <laughs> no, it's the size of an American bowling ball. <laughs> Not those crappy Canadian yeah. ones or one from overseas. It's an American <laughs> bowling ball. So anyways, we came across it. It was like, what's <laughs> <Yeah>. that? <laughs> So I took pictures and it was like, oh, that's that's amazing. That's a, like a really big mushroom, and you and you tap on it or slap it with your hand. And you can sounds like a, a dull drum type bong mm-hmm. bong bong. It's like, what is that's really neat. So I had did a lot of googling and and looking it up and and by the time so we were there for a long weekend. It was last Thanksgiving, and by the time we got back to look at them again, they had started to turn color. Yeah, these aren't the little puffballs that you used to step on no. and break open and. and you can, and, and you can make and the, the smoke comes the out. The spores come out. Yeah. yeah. No, these are giant. These things are, yeah, huge. Yeah. Puffballs. Yeah. yeah. And until you told me about those <laughs> last year, I'm just like, what, what is he And now I have about? friends that have cottages and stuff, and they're going, it's puffball season. Yeah. And they got a puffball as big as an American bowling <laughs> ball. <laughs> <laughs> right up next to their head, <laughs> which is approximately the same size. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So when I came across it last year, it's like, oh, we're going back next year. And I'm going to come back armed with recipes and ingredients. Because, and now I'm not advocating. You got, everybody has to take it upon themselves to make sure they're picking the right mushroom because there's a lot of dangerous mushrooms out there. Mm-hmm. And you have to know when it's... Past its best before date and so on. So I'm not, everybody has to make their own decision for themselves. But I know that I'm going back. I know what to look for now. I did my research and uh, I'm going to bring ingredients. I have a couple of recipes I'm going to try out. So I've been looking it up. You can use them like, uh, like well, you can make a sandwich with them, make yeah. slice, sliced bread, or you can make a, if it's big enough, you make a pizza. It can, it can be your pizza dough. Well, so I did some research after you were telling me yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah. You have to harvest the puffballs while they're still young and immature, and the inside is one even mass of dense white flesh. Exactly. They're an absolute mushroom lover's delicacy. Yes. Oh, spider's back. Oh, he's back down. The flesh tastes like mushroom, but it is milder and richer, kind of like the cap of a portobello mushroom. The texture... Oh, my heart like squirrels. squirrels. <laughs> it's just hanging right between It's the second time he's come back. <laughs> Apparently, he didn't get enough info the first time. Uh, get a picture of that. Can you get a picture of it? <laughs> I can try. <laughs> so, the texture of the puff ball is like a very dense, damp sponge when you cut into it. Peel off the outer rind and cut the puff ball into slices. The rind can cause gastrointestinal upset. Wasn't last week gastroenteritis? Gastroenteritis? Gastroenteritis. This this week is gastrointestinal He's upset in back some up people. Again. Yeah. What is he doing? He doesn't know. He's sniffing our fumes and going, <laughs> go home, spider, you're drunk. What's going on here? <clears throat> Anyways, we keep getting distracted here. <laughs> Somebody get rid of this spider. <laughs> 
If the inside of the puffball is any color other than pure white, don't use it. Exactly. Yellow, brown, or purple means the spores are starting to form and it is no longer good to eat. So those little tiny ones that we grab as kids and step on. Or and eat, you step on do it. Do these get no. like that too? No, these just, these just you know, like a... a I'd be throwing them at people. <laughs> you could. Like if they yeah. were, if it was the size of an American bowling ball, <laughs> and I whipped it at you and it went poof, yeah, like all spory and uh, I don't know if you want that in your lungs. Wouldn't be in my lungs, it'd be in yours. <laughs> <laughs> but these ones don't give off the cloudy spores. These ones turn these. You know how a uh, like a Halloween pumpkin rots? Yeah, uh, like after Halloween, and it it's just like eh, it's, it's all gooey. So that's what these, these just kind of start to collapse in themselves, gets kind of juicy, turns color. And uh, so you can see the inside is no longer white. It turns like a blackish, like Ugh. black mold type thing. Right. And they're just like gooey. Yeah. So that when they go bad, they, they're, they're gross. But when they're fresh, they have a drum sound to them. They're inside, pure, the flesh is pure white and, uh, and they're pretty big. A puffball will keep in your fridge for four to five days. Yeah. If you want to prepare it for later use, you can also cook and freeze it. There you go. Yeah, it would kind of ruin it if you froze it uncooked. Just like trying to freeze vegetables and use them later. It's like, yeah, gross. Cooked puffball has a texture kind of like tofu, but softer. Uh, as you were saying, you can use puffball just like you would tofu and most other mushrooms in recipes. Think of all these little things. Puffball is used for some in some of these ways. Diced, sautéed, and added to any pasta sauce. Raw, cubed in salads. Diced, sautéed, then tossed in with chives and beaten eggs as you scramble them. Um, Cut slices, dip them in a mixture of equal parts soy sauce and water, plus a dash of sriracha or hot sauce. Then pan fry them in butter or oil until brown. Cubes, strips, or slices breaded and fried. Grill or fry thick slabs and use them as a meatless burger on a bun with toppings. So I know sometimes we'll cook burgers and Tracy will get portobello mushrooms mm-hmm. as the buns. Yeah. So you could have portobello buns and puffball patty. <laughs> yeah. Mmm. <laughs> let that sit in your stomach for a while. Vegetarian dream. <laughs> uh, you can toss them in with stir fries. Saute cubes of puffball with onions, peppers, tomatoes, and Italian seasoning. Or use thin slices of sautéed puffball instead of pasta in lasagna. There you go. Do the same thing with zucchini. Bite mm. your tongue. <laughs> there is a lot of things you can do with these puffballs. Yeah. And this wasn't a thing until I heard you talk about them last year. I know. I learned about it last year, too. Like, what the hell? <laughs> so, so there's this, this sautéed puffball with lemon garlic this recipe. This sounds awesome. I am definitely making this if I can find... if So puffball mushrooms are good between August, September, October. So they start to they start to grow August. So you can... That's about their season, a three-month season. So at about this time of year, early October, at this latitude, they're... There's not much time left. There's, I'm hoping to find some that aren't gone bad. So day one, you're shopping. Yes, day one, we're we're shopping for mushrooms. So this one here, it's like uh, uh, some butter, a little bit of chopped onion, some uh, cloves of garlic minced, add some salt, and you uh, you take about a pound of giant pot ball, dice it into little cubes, uh, a little bit of pepper, 
some grated lemon zest and half of a lemon juice and then some chopped parsley. You heat the butter in a large skillet in a Dutch oven or in a Dutch oven, add and dice, uh, saute everything until it's all golden brown. And what they say you can also do is uh, add in some like some chicken or some shrimp or whatever, right? And it's a right. nice little, oh, that's going to be good. I'm going to, with luck, when we have uh, Thanksgiving dinner, this will be a side dish. Hmm. Yeah, because there's a picture of it that is, serves four to six. Well, that, that. Which is bullhooey because I never. <laughs> that's one person. I have <laughs> never, ever in any <clears throat> aspect of my life come across something that says serves X to X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And found it to be true. Yeah. Ever. So ba- ever. Backpacker's pantry. This feeds ever. two people. No, it doesn't feed two people. Yeah, if you're, if you're like children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not sending my kids out yeah. in the bushes as eight-year-olds. Now, now keeping in mind that uh, like these, when you're off on a backcountry trip and you're paddling all day, hitting portages, you are hungry by the end of the day. So, yeah, so if, if I wasn't working hard, maybe I would split up a backpacker's pantry if I had mm-hmm. to. Or, you know, when when we do have this solar storm that knocks everything out, we have no electricity, and and we're down to our last few meals, I might be splitting up these backpacker pantries between four people and so Oh, on. I'm getting all my OTG meals from Randy, <laughs> and I'm, I'm set for life. I've been collecting them. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I'd, I'd be interested to, I hope you find a puffball and you guys get to try it yes. out. Yes, looking forward to it's it. It's a bit of a hit because people, like I say, I, I have friends that are have been doing this for the last uh, week and I'm just like, really? Well, it's just it, like the, in the picture, the picture, tells, you know, it's a thousand words, but uh, just think of that sauteed in butter and garlic and salt and lemon juice. Oh. It kind of looks like tofu. Yeah, it does look like tofu. It looks exactly Admittedly. like tofu. I'm not a fan of tofu. But apparently it's supposed to taste better. Than tofu. Than, than tofu. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to let me know. Yes, definitely. Take some, take some pictures. I'll do some video. There you go. <laughs> I'll show it next to my head like it's next. an American bowling ball. <laughs> like it's an American <laughs> Oh, he's size. moved. He's over here ball. now. He's by my Where? fingertip. Oh, he's, maybe he's trying he's, to steal our light. climbed up, walked across the ceiling, and came down over top of me. Adventures of the Studio Spider. I think he wants to build a web. He just can't figure it out because he keeps seeing us and we're disrupting him. Maybe he's yelling at us and we just don't know. Or maybe there's more than one. Oh. Is there an army of spiders on the ceiling ready to pounce on us? Could be. (laughs) Anyways, squirrel. Squirrel. (laughs) Spider. (laughs) Tense. Let's talk tense. Yes, yes. This is this is intense tonight. Yeah. So that was that was our our home ec co- our, cooking our session. cooking session. Yeah, our cooking segment. <laughs> On to the gear segment. Yes, we're in the gear. Yes, the gear segment. So what's one thing is uh, we've always had issues with um, getting your next tent. Because yes. back in the day, I bought my tent. It was only a hundred and fifty dollars. Now <laughs> it's five hundred. I know. See, so really, and and when you commit to a tent and you spend that much money, you're not just going to say, "Don't like it, buy another one." You can't yeah. do that. You're committed to it. No, once you buy it. no. Mind you, back in the day, one hundred fifty bucks was like five hundred bucks. But yeah. whatever. Well, my tent, my f- personal favorite tent, my two man tent, two plus. It. Um, I've I've been using it. I bought it in. The fall of 2000. 
and I've been using it since then. It's seen a lot of use. And uh, so I've cared for it. It's uh, still in really good shape, but it's not as waterproof as it used to be. Back in the day when yeah. you bought it. <laughs> so it was. it's a marmot swallow, and uh, I love that tent. And uh, But it's just... Like I took it on the Wabakimi trip. Me, Mike, and Willow slept in it on when we did the uh, when they did that trip. And so I brought a tarp, but two of the guys didn't come along, and they're supposed to bring the other tarp. I brought a tarp because I have some leaks. <laughs> so because the tent has issues. <laughs> yeah, so two of the guys because two of the guys didn't go. They didn't bring their tarp. So there was one tarp, and so it became a communal tarp and. Uh, and the tent leaked a little bit. So it, it was a concern. And it's like, it's it just one of those things. It's like, you know what? I'm going to have to give up. It's my favorite tent, but I think it's time to retire it. I, I'm going to, I'm I, I'm not throwing it away. I am going to uh, play around and see if I can re-waterproof it. But uh, I'm not going to take it on any trips where it, it matters anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm in, I'm shopping for new tents. And, uh, or if anybody knows where you can get a, very excellent condition tent fly for a marmot swallow. <laughs> yes, a marmot swallow, two man tent. There you go. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of the marmot swallow. Yeah, it was there. There were uh, I haven't seen them since, but uh, it was one of the more popular tents. It was expensive back in the day. It was like three or four hundred bucks. That would have been in two thousand. But see, that's my Eureka Spitfire Solo. Mm-hmm. I love that tent. I mean, it's it's basically like. Sleeping in a coffin. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but for weight and how small it packs up. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it was it was, it was was really good. But the zipper finally went. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I can't get a new fly for it. And I, no matter what I do to try to fix that zipper, yeah. it's just not fixing. And I find that with, with a lot of modern tents, unless you spend the big bucks... You're not getting quality zippers, and no. I, I just time and time again, I buy I buy a tent, and it's like, why can't they put decent zippers? Is, is, are they really saving that much money by putting in a cheap zipper? Mm-hmm. Because when you have a when you zip your tent closed and it unzips from the opposite end where the zipper's not at, and then you have to figure out how to slowly track it back to attach it all and then zip it closed again, it's like. Why can't they just, at the very least, like expend, like, hey, you got really nice ripstop fabric. Why not put it a decent zipper? So, anyways, it's uh, I'm 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 on the hunt for a new tent, and I'm looking for advice and ideas. But in my hunt, I came across a uh, it's a Durston Gear tent, and so it's quirky. This so this guy he's in Golden, BC. So it's a British Columbia company. So it's it's designed. It's an ultralight hiking tent, and it's designed by this Canadian guy. But he his his reseller or the only person or the only place you can go to sell it is Caviso, and uh, they're in Ohio. So I assume he's designed it here in Canada, but he's sent it off to like. Uh, Korea, China, or whatever to manufacture, then they all go to Ohio, and then they're all purchased and shipped from there. So, if I want this really cool, really nice Canadian tent, I have to pay American dollars, converted, then I have to pay 18% import duties to buy my lovely Canadian tent, 
And this whole thing came up because uh, a friend in Ireland really likes the tent, and he's the one that told me about it. It's like, oh, that's a nice tent. So he wants it because he he hikes Ireland, the hills of Ireland and and Scotland. So he wants it for that, for hiking. And he's like, hey, can you get me this tent? Because for him to order it, he's paying American prices and getting it shipped, and it pretty it costs almost as much for him for shipping and duties import duties as it does to buy the tent it's a 340 dollar u.s tent and it's good and so that's about the same price in euros it's about they're even on, on the euro and u.s dollar so it's 340 dollars u.s for the tent and 270 u.s to, to ship. ship it for taxes and duties into ireland so it he's like, like a 600 dollar yeah it's crazy. And for me to, so it's 18% import duties for me to get this tent. So it ends up being a $550 Canadian for this tent that was designed by a Canadian guy out in Golden, BC. Mm-hmm. And but so they're nice tents though. It is a pretty ultra light, ultra light tent. So why you use your trekking poles? Yeah. Trekking pole. Peter yeah. Romain, one of our buddies there. Yeah. Um, He's big into the backpacking that yes. and the ultralight tents and stuff. He uses, I believe, six moon designs. Yes. He likes the six moon six moon designs. He's got some with tubs, some with ju- it's basically just the fly, and so you're still sleeping on the ground with a ground tarp, but it's just it's very ultralight. It's like you're talking like ounces, and it's um, the it, it, I, the expense is because it's this super tough ultralight sill tarp nylon whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's 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 one of these ultralight hikers, right? He does he does a lot of hiking down the states and stuff. So in he's the mountains. Yeah, he's into the ultralight stuff. But uh, yeah, it's I really like this tent. I really like the design. I really like the look of it. It's it's uh, so the one I was looking at was what, did I write it here? Uh, so the it's X-Mid? the yeah Durston Gear X Mid Two Person Solid. So it's an ultralight backpacking and. It's like I really like it, but I'm not going to spend that much money. It's 550 bucks. I'm not spending that. No, no, it's too much. No, not if he's still going to ship it elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, for the guy in Ireland, it, like yeah, yeah he's it's, come over. It's going to be. It's way too much for him. He's yeah. He have to. Well, thing is, is like if we can arrange for John Van Berger <laughs> to go to go it, and pick a couple then up, then when he comes visit us, he brings it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when your buddy from Ireland ever comes over. <laughs> exactly. Or we know somebody that's going. Well, my mother-in-law, she's going to go to Ireland uh, probably next year, next spring. Oh, there you so go. So she could carry it over. And <laughs> this tent's been two years into getting to you. <laughs> it's yeah. done more traveling than you have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem. Is I mean, I look at at so many things that. You put off and put off and put off and put off just because of the price. Yeah. You know, I mean, the uh, Coquitat dry suit. How long have I wanted a dry suit? Yeah. Years. And then yeah. finally I just said, you know what? Enough's enough. Enough's Time. enough. I'm, I'm getting a dry suit. Yeah, and it's easier to justify the dry suit because it's a life-saving measure. If you're going to go... If you're going to go paddling on the shoulder seasons when the water's super cold, it's like, you know what? This is kind of important. Mm-hmm. Like, so either you don't go... Or you buy the dry suit and you go. So I'm choosing not to go because I'm not going to spend that much money on a dry suit. Yeah. And uh, but eventually someday maybe I'm going to do some northern trip where I'm going to need the dry suit. And so then I don't know. I, I, I you don't, might want to borrow one might, from somebody. <laughs> I don't think I'd fit in yours. How do you know? <laughs> I'd look like a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. 
you're like what six something. One. So I'm, I'm like six foot one. Yeah, I'm like three apples tall. <laughs> five foot one and a half. <laughs> five eight. <laughs> well, you're not that far behind. No, but it's it's enough. I get it, it might billowy, but I don't know. Ah, piss posh, you fit in it. <laughs> Just don't leave you can any also stains rent them. It. You can always rent them, but oh, that's true. You don't know what other people have done in those dry suits. Yeah, you hope they're clean. <laughs> oh, did I forget to mention? <laughs> <laughs> I had chili that day. Yeah, Derek came <laughs> along and he had this particular odor. <laughs> it's like stale cheese. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the entire three week trip. <laughs> We were in the Arctic, and Derek smelled like stale, moldy cheese. If we did the Mackenzie River on on Banks Island, I'd probably... Thompson River? Thompson, yeah, Thompson River. The Thompson River and Banks Island, I'd probably buy a, a dry suit for that. Not if you go in the summer. You're still pretty far north. It's dark. It's summertime. Cold. Summertime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you're you're at some point you're just going to stop looking yeah. at that tent, and you're going to get something that you actually will use, and it's a lot cheaper. Well, I've bought a couple of tents in the last couple of years, and and most of them have led to disappointment. So I really don't want to spend five hundred fifty bucks to be disappointed in a tent. Yeah, we got the Marmot Limelight Three. Is that four oh. years ago now, the big orange one. Does, I think Mark Rubino has the same one, doesn't he? I don't think he's got the, Maybe he's got the two. Okay. But it's a great tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, we bought last year a two-person, it's the, it's the Eureka, I think it's the El Capitan 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of their two-man ones. Um, but they're they're really good as well. Mm-hmm. So, but when you're looking at the end of the day, I'm going to get this lightweight one for 500, 600 bucks. Mm. That's when you're starting to say, you know what? Yeah. I can get one that's not as light, but it's probably going to do me more and last longer Mm -hmm. for that kind of money. It's, it's almost like you'd like to... Maybe not try it, but if you could meet up with somebody who has the tent and say, listen, you've taken it on six camping trips now. What do you think? Is it mm-hmm. worth the money you spent? And if you get – I'd have to have some some, like some kind of a but, personal gear review. See, that's – years ago, I had this Spitfire Solo, and Mark Rubino, uh, Mark in the Park, he had the Hennessy Hammock. That's when Hennessy Hammock yes. was first coming out. and. And we traded for a night, and both of us hated the other. <laughs> he swears by the hammock. Yep. I swear by the Spitfire Solo. Mm-hmm. And then we switched for the night, and he said, it's like a coffin. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the hammock's not really any I different. Know. <laughs> but my thing with the hammock is I sit up straight. I'm so used to sitting up because in the Spitfire, you have to sit straight up sort of thing. Yeah. There's no room to roll over or yeah, yeah, yeah. that yeah. sort of thing. But that wire oh, line yes. is right there. So every time in the Hennessy that I'd sit straight up. You get a rope burn. <laughs> I'd get this tight rope burn right across my forehead. And I, I ended up with this mark on my forehead yeah. because I tried to sit up and, oh, it's right there. Yeah. Sort of thing. So, yeah, it was funny because we both hated yeah. the other. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sleeping in that thing again. I'm not sleeping in that thing again. <laughs> Good. 
the Hennessy, I, I, I did get one. I liked it. But the one aspect I didn't like about it is I have the uh, the bottom opening on the Hennessy. Oh, so they switched to the side. They switched to the side with a zipper. But I wasn't going to buy another Hennessy. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, I still use my Hennessy occasionally. So it's just the uh, that weird bottom opening where... Yeah, so that never made sense to me. It, it's, and it's really irritating. So when you have a air mattress inside with you, you have to push the air mattress to the side... S- split it open and then drop your feet down through and climb out. And then when you climb back in, you have to get in and kind of prop up on one side and get the air mattress back underneath you again. And so it's a lot of fiddling yeah. around. It's like, you know what? I, I just want to sleep I'm on the ground right now. I'm just going to sit here and pee myself. <laughs> yes. I'm not getting up. <laughs> I'm not getting up. I got an extra <laughs> pair of pants. I'll switch in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just it's just not worth it. Yeah, and I've I've tried sleeping in the Hennessy without the air mattress, and if unless you're in the heat of summer, where which is fine, but if it's anything with any wind and it's cold, like without an air mattress, the wind whipping by your butt underneath just yeah. draws all the heat out of you. Yeah, and so you're on a sleeping bag, but you're crushing it flat, so it's just sucking the heat out of you. And so it's like, well, I need an air mattress, but the air mattress is so it's such a pain in the butt to try get you know properly underneath you, and then you wake up in the morning, the air mattress is beside you on the side, and you're. What if it was a blue foamy? Trying to keep that memory coil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, if anybody knows where they're selling ultra ultra lightweight tents in mm-hmm. Canada, yeah, drop uh, drop us a message there. Yeah, and, uh, let, let me Derek know. know so he can go check one out. Like these Durston tents, they are <clears throat> they're just releasing the so the gear Durston gear X mid two person solid. It's it's like it's it's on pre order. There are two or three of their tents that he's just coming out to the market now and so they're you won't even get it till march 2023 so it's on a pre-order and in the states you could get it in november december but anybody in canada can't get it until march and you're paying extra so it's it's too bad i can't get a canadian designed tent in canada i wonder how much it would cost for john van berger to get it shipped to his house and then free shipping inside the states Okay, then wonder how much to ship from his house to your house. He could probably spend twenty bucks on uh, Express Post or U.S. Post or whatever. But it's you, you down know. with the man. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it is free. It is free shipping within <coughs> the continental U.S. Hmm. Continental U.S. Yeah. <laughs> Deliver it to like a border cross. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can do that too. I right? Don't, yeah. Just, those, just be waiting. There's there's places at each border crossing where it's like a warehouse. You book a uh, you book a locker and it's like a the spider's back. Oh. So you book a locker and uh, and so you have your stuff shipped to the locker and you just go across the border and pick it up. Hmm. So it's uh, it it changes the uh, like there's different taxes and duties when you claim it and cross the border and stuff like that instead of shipping you're not paying shipping you're it, it does save a lot of money. He landed on the oh, table. Oh, he's on the table now. He's walking away. Is his wire? Is his his wire? His, his wire? His cable? <laughs> his his web? His little stringy thing? Is it still up there? His web? Sure. Why not? Maybe he's gonna jump. He's coming. Um, right, he jumping? He's coming right at me. No, he's not. Oh, he jumped. Did he just roll up into a ball? Yeah, you scared him. Huh. Welcome to Derek's Wilderness. 
<laughs> this week, Steve the Spider. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Steve. Alrighty. So yeah, if you yeah, not anything about where we can get uh, or Derek can get a ultra lightweight tent. It doesn't have to be necessarily ultra light because it'll be mostly for canoeing, but it has to be decent quality. Good quality and light, mm-hmm. like air. It was like the the last family tent we bought at sale. Uh, I'm not going to say the brand or anything because I don't like it, so I'm not going to besmirch a brand. But uh, we were very disappointed in it, and uh, we spent like 400 bucks. Oh, was, tell me the brand. I'll besmirch it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like, it's like, man, I hate spending money, and then you use something, and it's like, well, that was a waste of money. I'm going to yeah. use it because I have it now. I'm going to complain every time I use it. <laughs> this is my swear tent. <laughs> every time I use it, I swear. Yeah. You have to be so careful with the zippers. It's not very good in the wind. And I don't know. <sighs> the trials and tribulations <laughs> of know. Derek. I know. <laughs> Steve the spider is out to get him. Yeah. He hasn't moved. Why is he in a ball? Defensive. <laughs> it's a defensive He's, ball. Spiders play dead. If that was bigger, you know what that would be the size of? Something bigger? An American bowling ball. Because <laughs> that's what he looks like, just smaller. He's, yeah, his legs are all tucked in. Yeah. What is he doing? <laughs> he's playing cards, Derek. What do you <laughs> think he's doing? <laughs> Anyways. Oh, a large group of one. Uh, last thingy here. Another little gear thing, sort of. So, speaking of which, before we get into it, I hope you're going to explain the uh, or the rating system that they're using here. Sure. Because this doesn't say. It doesn't. It does not. <laughs> okay. Sort of. <laughs> it's definitely a possibility of being a maybe. <laughs> For years, Virginia Tech Testing Labs has done independent work evaluating helmets on safety. They do uh, bike helmets and hockey helmets and all that sort of stuff. They also do whitewater helmets, whitewater paddling helmets, like kayaking and stuff like that. Important to note that all helmets that come to market, include ones we trust by variety of outdoor brands, are evaluated to pass certain safety standards. For water sports, the required standard is EN1385 for class 1 to 4 whitewater. Okay, so they got the little sticker that says, even the hockey helmets have them and whatnot. Yeah, what, motorcycle either has uh, ANSI or DOT ratings yeah. or... Yeah, my older helmets used to have the DOT rating. <clears throat> yeah. There are typically five or six required components that must be met for any helmet to be certified. Helmets must have proper extent of coverage, field of vision, shock absorbing capacity, a certain level of protection and durability and more. Beyond those requirements, Virginia Tech Lab ratings, ideally five-star, are quickly becoming another standard. So what y- you go and buy, mm-hmm. the, the, the main standards yep. corp uh, that test these things, say, okay, they pass this, pass this, pass this, okay, you can go sell it by the masses. Virginia Tech is doing more testing and harder testing and saying, ooh, this test, this one is better than that one. So are they being paid to do this or are they no, just doing been, it? No, they do it with, with themselves. Independent work evaluation. Huh. So for water sports, they've, they've uh, 
rate each helmet based on the results of six impact tests using a pendulum impactor. A pendulum impactor. <laughs> it was a boom. An earth-shattering kaboom. <laughs> the lab measures things like linear and rotational acceleration for each impact, which correlate to concussion risk. It also tests the helmet's front side and back at two impact energies based on whitewater river flow rates. Oh, he's coming over to say hello to you. He's, he's coming right at me. Oh, he's got a knife. Steve the Spider's got a knife. <laughs> he was almost in my lap. I had to throw him back on the table. Uh, <laughs> each lab helmet impact is weighted to contribute equally to the average helmet's overall score. Simply put, the results of these impact tests align with a certain amount of concussion risk. More risk means overall higher score. Lower, less good in terms of in, in Protection. Less good what? Does that say that? Less, Less good? good in terms of protection. Okay. In Virginia Virginia Tech rating system, a lower score offers better protection. It's just like golf. Yeah, lower yeah, score, the yeah. better, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's only with scores below a number threshold, the score of one, that get awarded its coveted five stars. Looking at 24 different helmets, Virginia Tech put through impact tests and evaluation, something becomes very clear. The sweet protection helmets dominate. Uh, There are 24 helmets from a variety of band, sorry, uh, from varying brands. NRS, Shred, Sweet Protection, WRSI, and GATH. Uh, are tested. Of the 24, every single helmet that made the top five is a sweet protection model. No other brand secured a full five-star rating in the Virginia Tech's testing. Now, based on the other companies that are saying these are the world standards, global standards, whatever you want to call it, all these helmets are are good. Mm -hmm. But... Virginia Tech does theirs and says, well, these ones are the top of the pops. So they give the the, 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 the five that are, are good. There's the Wanderer 2. It's a great value helmet. It's got carbon reinforced ABS shell with EPP padding, venting, and a wicking lining. It has updates from the Wanderer, which includes straps, buckles, and a liner. And that's got a point three three rating. So is that is that spider just bothering you that much? It's that I don't know where he is right now. <laughs> <laughs> he was he's over here. He was on my glasses. He was on the microphone case. He was on my phone, and now I can't find him. Da-da-da. It's it's when you can't see them that it's a problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, the Wanderer 2, it's a great, it has a 0.33 rating. So that's 0.33 out of 1. And that's not their most expensive model. Because you figure the the more expensive you get, the The better better, it's going to be, right? That's not the case with all of these. The Sweet Pro Rocker Full Face. 
offers full face coverage in waters where extra protection is necessary. The helmet, like the others on this list, is carbon fiber reinforced. It also has more venting around the front of the face. Uh, So it's got the big thing that will cover your jaw and everything like that, right? 0.36 rating. So if it was a 0.9, it would be sucky. If it was a 0.1, it would be really, 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 really good. Yeah. So the lower the score. The better. The better. Yeah. The Sweet Rocker Dagger. And this is what got me, because they say it's a special edition helmet made with dagger kayaks, which offers the same rocker design position or protection with a carbon fiber reinforced lightweight shell and a signature dagger red kayak and topo line print. And it's 0.56 compared to the so the pro rocker. It's prettier, but <laughs> yeah. not safer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, this one's cool. Yeah. It's not going to help my, it's not going to protect my head, but it looks really cool. The rocker <laughs> helmet is a high performance helmet with a carbon fiber reinforced and injected injection molded thermoplastic shell. There are too many big words there. The helmet has more face protection, molded ear pad for comfort, and a visor. 0.83. That's like way above. Mm-hmm. You've gone from high. 0.33 all the way up to 0.83. Then you've got the Sweet Protection Wanderer helmet, which was the staple for many years. Uh, it's been discontinued. So now that's why they got the Wanderer 2 now. Uh, simple yet protective design. You can still find a few original helmets secondhand online, though we re- recommend the updated Wanderer 2. It had a rating of 0.25. Really low. Which is less than the Wanderer 2 at 0.33. So what's all of these are sweet protection models. Mm-hmm. So these so the all, ones by these NRS, all got the five-star ratings? Yeah. So the ones made by NRS, Shred, WSR, uh, WRSI, uh, and Gav, that they tested, none of them got a five-star rating like these did. But f- the five that did are all made by Sweet Protection. All made by Sweet Protection. Wanderer, Sweet Pro, Sweet Rocker, Rocker, protect, uh, Sweet Protection Wanderer. Mm-hmm. Huh. So the Wanderer, which is discontinued. So who paid for this study? Did it the Sweet Protection Model Helmets pay for no. the study? <laughs> no, this is all independent. <laughs> it's all independent. Okay. Yeah, all independent. So my thing here, now with a lot of people don't realize with hockey helmets, and I, I, I can't speak for other helmets, I don't know, but yeah. hockey helmets have an expiry date. So just like car seats and so on, right? So after so many years, you throw that hockey helmet out mm-hmm. because it's not offering you the same protection it did yeah. when you bought a brand Plastics new. are aging. There's an assumption on wear and tear. There's an assumption mm-hmm. on the fabrics. There's an assumption on the on the, the lining. So they just say, you know what? We can only guarantee this for five years. If they're, they're saying you might find one of these original Wanderers online, secondhand online, if it's been used... Yeah. Do you really want one? Mm-hmm. If you don't care about your head, I guess, yeah. No, I mean, like, if, or are you going to go with the new Wanderer 2 by that brand spanking new? Yeah. If you can find a used one. Helmets are only about 100, not, 200 bucks. So it's a big dent? Well, there's a couple <laughs> of them where we're 
Oh, wow. That much, yeah. eh? Yeah, but the other ones, yeah, you, like you say, under 200 You can get one for, like mm-hmm. I say, if you're going with the Wanderer 2, I think, yeah, it was under 200 bucks. Yeah. I think right? somebody's, uh, I think somebody else's sweat and helmet would kind of say, no, you know what? I, I only want to wear a helmet that had my sweat in it. It would go with your <laughs> borrowed dry suit. Yeah. Yes. Moldy cheese <laughs> and has, head sweat. It has cooties. <laughs> uh, uh, moldy cheese and head sweat. All right. We're going tripping. Uh, so that's very interesting. It is. To, to see that. And they're big on the concussions, uh, testing, making sure they're going to um, carry you through a concussion. Yeah. If you if you see this pendulum um, impactor. It basically is like a head thing, and they just keep hammering the side. Oh, yeah, I've seen and stuff seen like that. that. Yeah. And there's specific spots, so it's it's when you when you get totally reading into every little detail of the tests. So they're going to hammer this thing from the front, so that big jaw coverage. Yeah, they're going to see how much of a beating that's actually going mm-hmm. to take, because that's going to happen when you're out in the river. Yes, or there are certain points your head's always going to hit. Yeah, exactly. On rocks around the crown whatever, of your head right? and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and they test those. With with this uh, to machine to make sure that it's given the protection that that you're needing and you're going to need because when you're out there and you get a good wallop in the head, yeah, and it's not going to protect you from that concussion. Mm-hmm. You don't want that helmet. Yeah. So, um, and I think that's about it. Yeah, I think. We, how, how long is this episode so far? Uh, I haven't been watching the time. About an hour and three, uh, hour and fifteen or so. <laughs> Not too bad. Not too shabby. <laughs> oh, you'd stop staring at Steve the spider. Well, I don't know where he went. That's the problem. He's on your he's, head. He's missing. He's drinking your beer as we But see. every time I tried to scoot him away, he ran right straight back at me. Come at me, bro. And then I got distracted and I looked back to find him and I haven't been able to find him since. Oh. So who knows? He might be laying eggs in my ear right now. Take him with you. Well, I... Uh, <laughs> 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 he's He's... He's setting up a nest in my hair. <laughs> awesome. I haven't seen him in about five minutes. Oh, I'm sure you'll find him soon. <laughs> Derek's about to wig out. <laughs> uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream the episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at battlingadventuresradio.com and uh, stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank Steve the Spider for joining us <laughs> this week. I was going to do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. I'll see you next time.